What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, December 17th, 2021. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going, buddy? Maddie, it is going super well. I'm stoked about the holiday season. I cannot believe that this is our last episode of 2021. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I feel like this this year, I don't know, it just kind of dragged on, but also flew by at the same time, which I guess you could say every single year, but yeah, <laughs> this is a, this show is definitely a bright spot of my year and we will definitely talk about that more at the end. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, for now, Nick and I each made a martini. Mine's dirty. His is dry. So, uh, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Drink up. All right. And, uh, we will get into the show. the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy, all in an easily digestible, Nick, should I say it one last time? Yes. Weekly podcast for you to listen to on your own time. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we are happy to have you as a listener. As always, our cry for help that we let out at the start of every show. If you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen on Spotify or Google or Stitcher, tune in. We're trying to grow this show and make it the best we could be. We want to get on those lists, baby. <laughs> and the way to do that, log into Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and then just say, I like this as your review or something, because it's going to help us get some visibility. Please, please review the show. If you have the ability on Spotify, review it there as well. And yes, Matt, for the last time, this is a weekly show. Yeah. Also, parents that are thinking about getting your kids like an iPhone or an iPod or, or uh, AirPods or something, while you're in the Apple store, just go to like every single phone and iPod and just subscribe to the show on there for us. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Even if you're in like the Verizon store, just do it on, on those phones too. AT&T, I don't care. I don't discriminate. Let's go. Yeah. Just subscribe as much as you can on whatever devices you can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into our quick hits for the week. So our first quick hit comes from EcoWatch where Paige Bennett writes, vegetarians produce 59% less greenhouse gas emissions than meat eaters. Study finds. Yes, this was a very interesting timing, I think, because we talked to Sophie last week and one of the questions that I asked her was, what is something that you do to be more sustainable in your own life? And she brought up how she's vegan. And now we can kind of quantify that um, the carbon footprint of people who eat less meat or people who don't eat meat or any animal byproducts is lower than people who do eat meat. And whenever we bring this up, our reasoning is always based on the carbon emissions from production. So with that, we're talking about the methane that's released by dairy cows or how much carbon dioxide is created through factory farming. But this study from PLOS1 broke down the emissions for the individuals consuming the food. So this was pretty cool. This was pretty new for me. Um, and I definitely think it was eye-opening. 
The study created an algorithm to figure out that the greenhouse gas emissions of different food, including production, land use, soil, climate, processing, and transportation, so pretty much everything from point A to point Z, um, they found that vegetarians produce 59% less greenhouse gas emissions than meat eaters. And this was done by interviewing 212 participants about their food habit and then logging the food choices in a database to figure out the percent of food-related emissions of each participant. That way they could compare them. And I'll add that 212 people isn't the largest sample size, but it is still considered statistically significant. So I'm not even going to say take it with a grain of salt. Sure, 1,000 people is a better sample size, but 212 is still enough where you can really get a good idea about this data. The study also had some other interesting takeaways, including that diets with lower saturated fats, less sodium, and a larger proportion of their energy intake coming from carbs tended to be diets that were lower in meats. And this one hits a little close to home for me. The study also found that tea, coffee, dairy, cakes, and cookies tend to contribute to a larger carbon footprint. I love tea, um, but you know this was something that in hindsight, I probably should have figured out on my own. It's not like I'm buying my tea from local farms in New York where they're growing the tea leaves there. So transportation emissions alone are going to be high for tea. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that one hurt. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge tea guy. I'm a newly appointed coffee guy, I'd say. If anything, I'm an iced coffee guy. I have it every all season. doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, I'm just curious to know like what that statistic might look like for vegans or even pescatarians. Like I know, yeah, they still eat fish, but if they don't eat any beef at all, like that must be massive for their ecological footprint. Um, and I know for a fact, like vegans and vegetarians have a lower um, ecological footprint because of just the water and land that it takes to produce the beef. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to mention a stat from denverwater.org. Um, and they say it takes approximately 1,847 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef, which is enough water to fill 39 bathtubs all the way to the top. Yeah, whenever people bring up land use and water use about farming, it's just the, the statistics are mind blowing. And I'm really glad that you included 39 bathtubs because I, like many people here, 1,847 gallons. I'm like, I that sounds like a lot. I don't, I don't know. know what it is. Yeah, 39 bathtubs, you put it in that quantity. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Think about how long you're filling the bathtub up for. Yeah. It takes a while. It doesn't take two seconds. Like, and that's for one that's pound. That's a lot of water. It's for one pound. Yeah, um, exactly. So I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians. I know that beef has the highest greenhouse gas emission production out of any of the meats, followed by pork. I want to say lamb is next, then chicken, then fish. So pescatarians are going to be way less than just your traditional meat eaters, but still higher than vegetarians. And even vegetarians are going to be higher than vegans. What I'm curious about is something we kind of alluded to. I'm curious about, you know, your vegetarian that drinks coffee versus your vegetarian that doesn't. Yeah. Or someone who doesn't eat any red meat at all, but then doesn't drink coffee or tea, for example, compared to vegetarian that drinks coffee and tea. So yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see what the rest of this study would be able to find if they looked into all of that. But, you know, either way, this was uh, this was pretty eye opening. Fifty nine percent less is significant. Yeah, so. seriously. And I'm also thinking about like a service eventually. And this is far down the line at this point. I don't know when it would come, but it's almost like a 23 in me. But for like your diet so you can track like your carbon footprint 
but it's just through like your diet and what you eat and like you log <laughs> stuff. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Yeah. But someone could take my idea, my idea and then just use it for like to make a lot of money, but go ahead. We will launch a planet today website at some point. And, uh, yeah, if any coding engineers or whatever want to <laughs> get working on that for us, we will give you some royalties. Yeah, please. That'd be <laughs> sick. All right. So let's move on to our next one. And it is from Katrin Einhorn of the New York times. And she writes manatees facing a crisis. will get a bit of help extra feeding. So we talked about manatees on episode one of the planet today, all the way back on June 4th. And we talked about how manatees were in rough shape because of boat strikes, climate change impacting the temperatures of their water. So their food supply was lower and all in all, their numbers were going down a lot this year. Manatee deaths have spiked in Florida and rescue centers there are taking in a lot of starving manatees. So federal and state wildlife officials are stepping in to try to help. And the plan is to provide at a key location on Florida's East Coast where hundreds of manatees group together as temperatures drop a bunch of food. Thomas Eason, who's the assistant executive director of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, said this unprecedented event is worth unprecedented actions. And this decision doesn't come without drawbacks. Scientists have found that feeding wild animals can do more harm than good because the wild animals come to rely on humans for their food. Florida's manatees are already endangered and over a thousand have died this year, which is already a record. As of 2019, about 6,500 manatees still live in Florida and Puerto Rico, which is down from 8,800 manatees in 2016. Seagrass, which is their main food source, has been dying due to algal blooms from human waste and fertilizer from lawns and farms getting into the waterways. With more people moving to Florida every year, and as the state's water infrastructure continues to age, more waste leaked into the waterways and eventually made its way into the Indian River Lagoon, where manatees live during winter months. And that's about 75 miles east of Orlando, if anyone was curious. So seagrass has continued to die off year after year, and it's now down by about 90%, which is why officials have decided to start feeding the manatees. It's going to be a limited program, so the manatees don't get dependent on the cabbage and lettuce and other leafy greens that are supplied by officials. So that's good. They're, they're really taking care when doing this. Yeah, I'm thinking about like the octopus, my octopus teacher, um, when Craig Foster has to make the decision like, okay, you know, these, these sharks might kill my, my friend octopus and I have to make a decision to say, am I going to intervene or am I just going to let nature take its course? I think with the manatees, you, you pretty much have to, and it sounds like they're taking the right course of action here. So, um, hopefully this, this produces some results. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to bring up too, because with Craig Foster, he was focused about one individual octopus. And with this, they're focused on a manatee population. So yeah, I agree with you. I think this is the right time to step in. But one final thing to add, officials have urged the public not to feed manatees. And they said that the best way to help the animals is to avoid fertilizers and avoid pesticides on your own lawns, upgrade your septic system or switch from a septic system to municipal sewer if you can. And that's all basically because wildlife feeding tends to mess up migration patterns. It's going to spread diseases. And also, it just builds a dependence. So it's best to let nature run its course. And in the event that you can't do that, leave this one to the professionals. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like they have it handled. So, all right, let's get into the next one here. And it is from Gus Saltonstall of MSN. And he writes, 11 million oysters added to Hudson River in lower Manhattan. The Hudson River in New York City has received some mollusk reinforcements to help marine life and the overall health of the river. 
The Hudson River Park announced on Friday of last week that between Pier 26 and Pier 34 in Manhattan, which if you're from the area is between Greenwich Village and into Tribeca, would be a part of a large scale habitat restoration project. It's actually been ongoing since July and involved six months of installing reef balls and gabions seeded with oysters. And forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, I've never seen the word before, but gabions are cages or boxes filled with rocks, sand, or soil, and in this case, oysters. Oysters were chosen because they basically serve as just a continuous water filter by cleaning pollutants, mitigating storm surge and flood impact, and building up the shoreline by offsetting some of the energy from the waves that break into them. Visitors won't always be able to see the oysters, but it's important to boost the health of the river for the wildlife that lives there. These are also not oysters for people to eat, which is important to add because the water is still too polluted to eat from because of centuries of trash, sewage, and industrial waste that's gotten into the Hudson. But the water quality continues to improve and oysters should help move this process along. Oysters used to be a staple in New Yorkers diet, which I didn't realize because this was well before you and I were born, but maybe one day New York can return to being one of the world's great oyster capitals. <laughs> yeah. Karen Zrake of the New York Times said that New York used to export millions of oysters around the world, and there were so many that they were even sold from street stands. Also, any social class could enjoy them because of how many they were. Like There was just cheap, abundant oysters all over New York. I can't even picture it. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of like an oyster stand in Manhattan. I can't picture it. I can only see and smell honey roasted almonds. Yeah, from Nuts for Nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite stand. Uh, shout out Nuts for Nuts. But we also have plenty of hot dog carts and Euro carts and empanada carts. So Exactly. Yeah. But maybe one day we will have oyster carts again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say one day because unfortunately it might take another century before we can start eating oysters from New York again. But hey, clock's starting now. Yeah. The water is extremely badly polluted and do you, have you ever seen that video of the girl who jumps in like I can't remember where I think it's somewhere in like the the harbor but she literally thinks she's in like Montego Bay she like gets out and she's like I don't get it what's the big deal and it's just like all these people from New York in the comments are like oh my god she doesn't even know oh dear <laughs> no I have not seen that but yeah don't go swimming in the Hudson if you're around here um anyway the project costs about $1.5 million and provided funding for the Billion Oyster Project, which aims to install 1 billion oysters in New York by 2035. They've brought in about 75 million oysters since their founding in 2014, so they're off to a pretty great start, and this funding is just going to help them even further. Yeah, so this is definitely really cool, and um, it's just it's funny because like you hear oysters are going into, into the Hudson River, and it's like, okay, well, they're really small. It's probably not going to make that big of a difference, but that could have such a massive impact on the, the ecosystem. And like, I was watching this movie last night, it was called The Biggest Little Farm. And it was just showing how like this smallest little player, like snails um, could affect an ecosystem so much. And I highly recommend you go check out that movie, by the way, it's really cool. But um, yeah, it's just, it's funny how like the smallest animals in the food chain impact the ecosystem so much. Yeah, everything works its way up. I have not seen that movie. I will definitely add it to my list and you know, maybe we can add it to uh, the the movie list for the show. I was going to say we could almost add that to, yeah, we could almost add that to the documentary list cuz it's it's actually really cool. I'll, I'll go ahead and say we will. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, um one question before we move on to the last part. Do you like oysters? Dude, I don't 
I don't love oysters. I'm just not a fan. I think my sister got sick on them one year in on vacation and I was just like, nope, done. Never eating an oyster. I, I'm a big oyster guy. So uh, again, the, the yin to each other's yang. <laughs> now, how do you like them? Do you throw the, the Tabasco on the top or? Um, it, all right. Have you ever eaten chicken wings with me? I mean, I had to have it at some point in my life, right? So I'm a bit of a wing purist and I think that the sauce should speak for itself and a good wing, you don't have to dunk in ranch or blue cheese. <laughs> I'm kind of the same with oysters where like if it's a good enough oyster, you don't need the Tabasco or the whatever the like champagne sauce is. Okay, fair um, enough. I'll do a little bit of lemon juice sometimes. Sometimes I'll throw in some Tabasco, but... It's it's the classic Dan Walsh quote, you're only as good as your plain slice. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. <laughs> so, all right, last thing. The project also featured the installation of 600 adult oysters and came from a program established during the pandemic to help oyster farmers who saw a loss in their business because restaurants closed. So it's pretty cool. This project helps the waterways, marine life, and oyster farmers who struggled. And New Yorkers in 100 years are going to be able to eat the oysters again. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the main purpose of this whole, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing yeah. is just, hey, you know what? New Yorkers might have the potential to have some oysters on the street again. So, Hey, Wall Street, this is called a good investment. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt, what do you say we pause and take a break right here? Yes, let's do it. When we come back, we're going to do a couple more quick hits and then uh, send you all off on your merry ways for 2021. Nick, Nick, are you awake? Uh, I I just got up. What's up? Did, Did you hear that? Wow, what is it? I, I think I heard something on our roof. Oh my god. No way. Yeah. I, I I think I heard something on our roof. No way. It might have been it might have been Santa Claus. What did you ask for for Christmas? Matt, I asked for 15 Vala Altas. No way. I also asked for 15 Vala Altas. Oh my god. Oh my god. He's here, and he's coming with Vala Altus Everyday Handkerchief. It's a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Santa is selling him out. Get on it. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And we have a couple more quick hits coming your way, starting right now. And this next one is from Yahoo News's Rob Woe. And he writes, are the deadly Kentucky tornadoes linked to climate change? Before we get into this piece, we should first discuss the tornadoes as a whole. So several tornadoes ripped through Kentucky, Tennessee, and Illinois last week, resulting in 90 deaths at the time of recording. The majority of the deaths occurred in Kentucky, Six deaths have been confirmed in an Amazon facility in Edwardsville, Illinois, and four deaths have been reported in Tennessee. 
President Biden approved a disaster declaration in Kentucky on Sunday and declared a state of emergency in Tennessee and Illinois on Monday. There were reports of one of the people who died in the Illinois Amazon facility texting his wife before passing away. Amazon won't let us leave, so remember that while you're doing your holiday shopping. And our thoughts go out to the families and towns that have been impacted. And uh, yeah, now let's put this into an environmental perspective. So Tuesday's Bloomberg Green newsletter mentions how the tornadoes can be attributed to unusually mild air for this time of year. And meteorologists believe that warm spring-like temperatures may have created the warm, moist conditions which form thunderstorms and tornadoes, according to the author Rob Woe. Michael Mann, a meteorologist from Penn State, said the latest science indicates we can expect more tornado outbreaks like this because of climate change. The article goes on to talk about how once in a decade or longer events are happening more frequently. So with changes in weather systems, we can probably expect more tornadoes. They might not be as strong as we would expect because of the available energy. So that's a little different than what we might expect for hurricanes. I'd personally like to add that more tornadoes are bad, regardless of whether or not they're maybe not getting as strong as other national disasters are getting. Because look, a comparably weak tornado is still a tornado. Yeah, 100 percent. And I I feel so bad for the people who lost family members, lives and, you know, their home, especially around this time. I I can't imagine how hard that is. That's probably unthinkable. I can't even put myself in their position. Um, But yeah, it just it sucks that climate change is having this effect. And, you know, I I think of a place like Illinois, I wouldn't expect a tornado to run through there. You know, that's I feel like that's a little bit too north for what I would expect, um, you know, tornado country to be. Yeah. I mean, so Tornado Alley starts around Texas and works its way up to Minnesota but it doesn't really go as far east as Illinois. I'm looking it up right now because I also would have thought that it's based on latitude. But yeah, it actually does get as high as Illinois, just not usually that far east. Right. But yeah, man, this is one of those things where it's going to keep happening and it's going to be more frequent. And, you know, I'm sure that Illinois and Tennessee have gotten bad tornadoes before. But like the article said, it used to be once every decade or once every 50 years. And now it's, you know, every five, every 15. So Things like this are going to keep happening and keep happening more frequently until the powers that be do something. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're on a pace where, you know, if we have no emissions tomorrow, we still have years before things are going to return to normal. So it's not like we can just abruptly flip the switch and like, okay, everything's good again. So this is going to keep happening for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we can get our leaders to take some some serious action in in stopping some of these random and disastrous events from happening. So, um, but with that said, let's move on to our next quick hit of the week. And it is from Damien Carrington of the guardian and it's titled bugs across globe are evolving to eat plastic study finds. So add this to the list of stories where you hear it and you're like, wow, that's so cool. And that's so helpful. Um, but then take a step back and say, they shouldn't be doing this and they shouldn't need to be doing this. Microbes in the ocean and soils have been degrading 10 different types of plastic, and this is measurable evidence of the effect of plastic pollution on the many ecosystems of the world. Millions of tons of plastic are dumped into the environment every year, as plastic can be found on the peaks of Mount Everest and the deepest ocean channels now, according to Carrington. A lot of this can be blamed on plastic production, and 
we actually create plastic now that's hard to recycle and hard to degrade. So the study is cause for hope on that front because the enzymes found in these microbes break down plastics and can hopefully be used to break down the plastics for reuse. This could lead to less of a need to create new plastics moving forward. And the article lists a few ways that the bugs break down plastics and how it's all kind of working. And one story is thrown in about a bug that was discovered at a waste dump in Japan in 2016, which scientists studied and then tweaked with the genetic code a bit in 2018. And they learned a little bit more about its evolution through this. And this led to scientists creating an enzyme that was better at breaking down plastic bottles, which then accelerated further in 2020. So that's something good that came out of this. And then another enzyme was created in 2020 by a different set of researchers that can break down bottles for recycling within hours. So this is really exciting, and I, I really don't want to downplay that. But again, take a step back and realize we got lucky here, and we got to this point because of our own plastic production and consumption. Bugs shouldn't be developing genes to break down plastics, and we shouldn't be putting plastics into the environment at this scale to begin with. Yeah, it, it's such a weird thing to think about, like bugs eating plastic, like breaking down the plastic. It's it's just such a weird thought. Like I read the, the headline, I was like, uh, did, is that typed wrong or like what's going on? Like makes no sense to me. It's good. Like it's a good thing they're doing yeah. this, but like, they shouldn't have to. That's that's what it keeps coming back to. Do they me. want to? Like, do they want to be doing it? I don't I know. can't stop eating your garbage. <laughs> um, last thing I want to bring up. Last week, scientists revealed that the level of microplastics known to be eaten by people through their food causes damage to human cells in a laboratory experiment. So, look, plastics are a big problem. And I would say it's arguably a bigger problem than most of us realize. And hopefully in January, but if not, it'll be sometime in spring of 2021, we're going to have someone on TPT that I've been talking to from the UK, and he works in production, and he's going to come on to talk to us more about the plastic problem in production. That way we can learn a little bit more about this. So if this story piqued your interest, buckle up. We have an expert in the field coming in to talk to us about it. Heck yeah, that's the TPT difference right there. We've got people at the source, on the ground. We don't know enough about everything but we know enough about stuff to get in people who do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's move on to our last quick hit of the week and our last quick hit of the entire year. Yeah. Wow. That was crazy. Um, from Rachel Ramirez of CNN. And it's titled, A Giant Black Box Will Gather All Climate Data for Future Civilizations to Learn From. Ramirez writes, Every time new climate research is posted... News headlines are posted or tweets are shared. A giant steel box in Tasmania will be recording it all. It's going to have thick steel walls, battery storage, solar panels, and it's going to be about the size of a bus. So this thing is basically built to be here longer than humans will be. That way, if it comes to this point, it can tell future civilizations how we either failed or succeeded in solving the climate crisis. It's going to act as this independent ledger of our planet's overall health, according to Jonathan Kneebone, who's an artist that's involved with the project. And he adds that the group hopes it will hold leaders to account and inspire action in the overall population. It should be done sometime next year, and the hard drives, which will have enough storage to record for the next three to five decades um, that are going to be installed, 
they've already begun recording findings and conversations since COP26 in November. So they're already starting with the legwork. That way, once this thing is fully operational, we have a little bit of a backlog of info that's going to go into it already. I think this is cool, but part of me kind of wonders if it's necessary with cloud-based storage and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. I guess the fact that it's indestructible to the impacts of climate change and vandalism is the X factor here. So if our infrastructure fails, this thing is still going to work. Um, and in saying that out loud, I, I have come to a decision. I am pro black box. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I'm definitely pro black box. I think something that is completely indestructible is extremely appealing to me. And, um, and yeah, if it, if it serves as a blueprint for, for, you know, people after us to not make the same mistakes that we did, then great. (laughs) I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one thing that they're going to be logging, I figured we should just bring this up about 20 minutes before we started recording. There was a New York times report that came out about Antarctica melting a little bit more than we'd originally thought. And it's actually melting from underneath as ancient waters from below are coming up through the tectonic plates. It's this whole cycle that literally came out right before we're recording. That is going to be in this black box. And if you want to read about that, search on Google uh, Antarctica tectonic plates and see what comes up. Maybe you'll find the (laughs) article I'm talking about. (laughs) So with this whole thing, I just hope it inspires the people that need inspiration to get their asses moving. Like it's already past time where we need to be moving and mobilizing and doing all the things that need to get done. Hopefully this is that last nudge in the right direction that people need. Cause now look, this is going to hold them to account. And it's also cool that all of our actions are going to be recorded now. So you got to think someone who sees this is going to be like, damn, this TPT Twitter account helped save the world with all of their tweets. <laughs> that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Be featured in the black box. <laughs> yeah. To be featured in the black box, to have our, our Twitter handle mentioned at some point in the black box, which is planet today pod. If you're not following us already. Also check out our Instagram and TikTok <laughs> soon. Soon. All right, Matt, do you want to get into our 2021 TPT breakdown? Absolutely. And if you as a listener are thinking, hey, I want to share the show with a friend and I'm not quite sure which episode I should share with them to let them know what you're all about. Show them this next segment because they're going to get a good idea about this past year and what we have coming up next year that they can look forward to. So before we dive into what this show has meant to us so far, we have a couple thank yous to give out. So first, thank you to our listeners. Nick and I put in quite a bit of work every week to make what I think is a really good show. And without you all listening and giving us feedback and saying, hey, this worked. Hey, do this a little differently next time. There is no TPT. So thank you genuinely from both of us. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I can't thank everyone enough for listening, for all your support, for, you know, hitting us up on Instagram, hitting us up like, hey, check out this story. Like you guys should bring it up on the podcast. That's huge. Like it's it's really massive and it means the world that you guys are actually listening and and caring enough, uh, you know, about the environment and about staying in the know, um, you know, to to keep us involved in your life. Yeah. And that's that's also a good point. Thank you for letting us be a part of your hopefully Friday, but maybe Saturday, Sunday, whenever routine in 2021. It means a lot that uh, we were in your headphones or playing through your speaker. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And next thank you is to everyone who shared the show on social media. Look, we have, I'm not going to lie, more listeners than I thought we would have at this point. And a lot of that is because people who like the show are sharing it with people who don't know me and don't know Nick. 
that's really cool. The fact that there's people listening right now who I've never spoken to, I've never heard of. You're awesome. Thank you. Also, it's your turn to share the show with a friend. hundred <laughs> percent. Please do. And last thank you goes to everyone who's been rating and reviewing the show on Apple podcasts. There was that like week or two where Spotify was letting you rate. If you got a rating in there, thank you. But mostly people on Apple podcasts, we say it every week, but seriously, it helps us a lot when you do that. So if you have an iPhone and you listen on Spotify or you listen on TuneIn or Stitcher, just go log into Apple podcasts and give us that rating and review because it helps us get noticed and it puts us on recommended lists when we have more ratings. So that quick two second, five star button you press, that's going to help us get noticed by more people. Yeah. And if you rate and review the show, there's an a hundred percent chance that you're going to be on the show. We're going to mention your name at some point on the show. I don't know if that's a, a, um, a reason to not do it for some people. If you want to be kept anonymous, we'll do that too. I, I don't mind. Yeah. We'll do it all. We'll make up a name for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at making up names. Ready? James Tartaglia. Boom. That was our first review, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Nick, I'll let you start this one up. What has TPT meant to you this year? Oh, man, that's so hard. TPT has meant, you know, coming every week and, and learning a lot, to be honest with you, because, you know, this is not my you know, this is not my expertise. This is not where my, um, you know, my focus has been, you know, for the past 24, 25 years of my life. I've just kind of been like a, like you've always said, like just someone who wants to stay in the know and who wants to, to see, you know, what's going on with the environment. You know, this show has been massively helpful for me just every week coming and learning more about what's going on and what our most pressing issues are. So it's been really cool to, to get together with you every single week and just sometimes just shoot the shit, have fun, and then also like be learning a lot at the same time and, and trying to you know learn everyone else at the same time. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I've loved getting together with you every week. And for people who are just joining or new year, Nick was my first friend that I made aside from family. He used to live across <laughs> the street from me. Uh, our moms met while they were pregnant. So we've, we've been doing this forever. Um, <laughs> This is, you know, something where we went from talking a couple times a week to now we're talking almost every day, just planning stuff for like, hey, I saw this. Maybe we can talk about it. Little stuff. And then just getting together, a little debrief before we get going. How's your day going? How's your week going? And then we dive right into it. It's been awesome. The show as a whole, for me, it's been the creative outlet that I missed since grad school because this is going to make me sound like a psycho, but I love research papers. I love like deep diving into stuff and learning and writing and, you know, being able to present it all. So that's what this is providing me is that creative outlet that I thought I wanted, but I, the more that I do it, it's something that I realize I, I need in my life. I, I need a spot to get this all out here. And yeah, this has been life changing for me. Yeah. And I think even for you, like just to voice how you're feeling about certain things, like I, for someone who reads as much as you do, you know, like you, you have to talk to someone about it. You know, you need to like get it off your chest. It's like taking karate. Like if you take enough karate, you want to use the karate. Yeah. So it's the yeah. same thing. Like you need to speak, you know, how you feel about certain topics and how you feel about, you know, what's going on in, in the environmental world. You're right though. I mean, like it's, it's tough. A lot of the stuff we talk about in here, it's scary. It's daunting. And, you know, to have an avenue to say, Hey, this is bad. Here's how we fix it. Or, Hey, this is really right. good and should give us cause for hope. 
it makes me feel a lot less anxious. And we talked about um, Clover Hogan's TED Talk on, I think, episode three about eco-anxiety. If you haven't listened to that, it was fantastic. Uh, we've interacted with her like once or twice on Instagram. Clover, if you ever come across us, we'd love to have you on the show. Um, <laughs> she gave a, a fantastic talk and then talked at COP26. Go check out her TED Talk. It's about how people in our generation kind of just feel anxious about the environment as a whole. And this show has helped me a lot to have an avenue to kind of deal with that. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Next one up, we are going to brag for a second. <laughs> we were ranked number seven on Feedspot's top 20 wildlife conservation podcasts. Woo! Yeah, it's huge. Um, it's this list that they put together and, you know, it's based on how many listeners you average your Twitter following, which we're still not doing great on Twitter. We're doing a lot better on Instagram. And I think once we launch the TikTok in, in January, it's going to to the moon, baby. Yeah. So they put this whole list together based on their algorithm. And one thing that they called out was freshness. So the fact that we're a new show gave us a little boost. So, hey, number seven, that's awesome. I'll take that all day. Lucky number seven. Come on. We are going to put the link in the show notes if you want to check out the rest of them. But, uh, Listen to them on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of, of next year. Don't let them replace TPT in your lineup. <laughs> and next year, maybe we'll be number one. That's what we're shooting for. Clear eyes, full heart, number seven, can't lose. Yeah. And maybe we'll be like number one on Apple Podcasts if everyone keeps rating and reviewing. Speaking of 2022, um, I wanted to take a second to just talk about our goals. So um, one thing that I think is going to be true for both of us here is going to be continue to make a better product every week. Nick and I aren't the type of people who just put this out and then we're done with it. I know that he listens to it meticulously while he's editing. And then I listen to it as soon as it hits Apple podcasts. Not really. I wake up at like seven. This comes out at six, but I listen to it very <laughs> early in the morning. That way I can say, Nick, love the music, like great job with the edit and just kind of listen to myself. Cause I ramble a lot. I'm rambling now. <laughs> this is something that we work on. <laughs> so yeah, just continue to get better. Every single show is my, my number one goal. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like when you listen to yourself, it's first of all, for those of you who haven't done it before, listening to your own voice <laughs> is <Sucks>. really, really <laughs> shitty. And I have to do it consistently cause I edit the show. Um, so I've gotten a lot more used to it. And so that's, that's pretty cool. But like, sometimes I'll like record my girlfriend saying something and then she'll listen to it and she'll be like, oh my God, that sucks. Like everyone just hates their own voice and that's okay. You get okay. used to it. <laughs> you get used to it. Yeah. So, um, that shows you how much, um, effort I put into this show is me listening to my own voice every single week. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that I've gotten, you know, I've, I've come to like it. I like when I listen to the show, which is great. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's just like, for some reason I'll find myself when I'm editing the show sometimes and I'm just smiling and I don't even know why we have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two goal is going to be growth in numbers. So on your end, that looks like those ratings and reviewing that I am begging for on our end. Look, I really think TikTok is the avenue that we need to just get more people's eyes on the product. Um, so I'm going to be doing pretty much just episode recaps. We're going to cut some of the audio from the show and say, hey, if you missed Friday's episode, here's what we talked about. And it's going to just be fun, stuff like that. Uh, we're going to have some videos, some pictures, keep it light. Um, I also, to incentivize people to follow us, I'm going to be doing one social media exclusive quick hit that's going to be posted everywhere, but like I'll make it on TikTok and then post it to Twitter and Instagram. So you don't have to follow us everywhere, but you know wherever you can and want to, it helps. So 
follow us. There's going to be one additional story every week that you're not getting on the show. And that's your way to get it. Number three, and getting into that, we're going to be having some more social media content. So Kaylee's been doing an awesome job with a lot of our graphics, but I also want to mix in some more video because Nick and I make each other laugh on this show. And it's fun when you get to see us and, you know, kind of like see the body language that goes into this. We're both Italians, so we both talk with our hands a lot. You're going to see a lot of hands. I'm making like the double Italian hands thing right now. You can't see it. I want you to be able to do that. (laughs) Number four, we're going to try to land some more interviews. And that's with my friends. That's with some of Giselle's friends. That's going to be with some of Nick's friends if he has any industry connections that I don't know about yet. (laughs) Um, And also people we don't know at all. I'm going to keep reaching out and shooting our shot on social media. And the more we grow the easier it's going to be to land those bigger names that you want to hear. So probably not next year or the year after, but one day I want U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry on this show. How we get there, (laughs) who knows? Does it make sense to be pining for like a 75-year-old dude through TikTok? (laughs) Probably not, but hey, that's what we're 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 looking at. We grow on TikTok, then we grow on Twitter from it, and then I can just DM (laughs) John. Need you on Friday. John, this would look great for your, <laughs> for next your resume. presidential campaign. <laughs> All right. And our last goal, just continue to have a platform to, like Nick said, keep learning and keep creating and help others stay informed on a topic that if you're here, you care about this and we care about this. And that's what TPT is going to be for until we stop doing it, which who knows when that's going to be. I hope never. There's no, there's no end in sight for this podcast. We will, we will be existing as long as that black box in Tasmania is existing. Until we retire. Until we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of TPT and our last episode of 2021. We're going to be taking the next two weeks off to spend some time with our families and friends for the holidays and also just to relax and recharge a bit. Don't worry, we're still going to keep up with the news and talk about anything major that happens between today and January, so don't feel like you're going to be missing out on any stories. Yeah, and our first episode of 2022 will be on Friday, January 7th, and it will also be our first 30-minute episode. How about that? I'm pumped, man. I think the new format's going to be great. It's going to make the show a lot better for our current listeners, and I think the shorter shows are going to be easier to share with new listeners. So tell your friends. It's really easy to say, hey, if you have 30 minutes, you should check this out. It's good. Yeah, and and you won't even have to like wait for more TPT after that, because directly after that, we're dropping our first ever Monday episode on January 10th. Yeah, so for anyone who heard about the new format and they were like, damn, they're just making the show shorter. No, you are still getting one hour per week from us. Don't worry. And until you hear from us next, please share the show with a friend or two who you think would like it. That way they can check out some of our existing episodes before the new year. If you have any questions, comments, story recommendations, or potential guests, send those our way through our socials or through email. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden for a lot of sports, wrestling, and like pseudo-political takes. I also repost memes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we are co-hosted and produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every single show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. And I just want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, stay safe and appreciate the time you have with your family and friends because, you know, you never know when it'll be 
taken away from you. So just appreciate it. Yeah, well, well said. And you can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great rest of 2021, everyone. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate and Happy New Year to everyone else. We will catch you right here Friday, January 7th. Merry Christmas! Peace. Peace.